And let's be a blessing one to another. Well, if you have a copy of God's Word tonight, we're going to be in the book of Jonah. Jonah. And, of course, most of us would be familiar with this story that's recorded in four chapters in the Old Testament. And, again, what we call a minor prophet. Not minor in message, but minor in size. That's why they call them the minor prophets. So just before the book of Micah, you have the book of Jonah. Just after the book of Obadiah, that one chapter that we looked at last week. And again, I suppose that Brother Jackson will be here next Wednesday to teach. That's my expectation. Uh, I'm supposed to leave for Colorado on uh, Saturday to do a missions conference, so I won't be here, but I'm sure that if he's not, someone will be covering the class. And then uh, again, we'll just, as things have opportunity, as God gives opportunity in the future. Jonah chapter 1 and 2 is what we're going to look at tonight. And, you know, I'm thinking to myself, most of us are familiar with the story of Jonah and, you know, we probably every little child has in a storybook, uh, you know, Christian storybook, there's the story of Jonah and the whale. And, and I, I think sometimes if we're not careful, children almost think of this as a fairy tale, you know, almost, a, you know, did this really happen? And the truth of the matter is it's, it's a real story. It really did happen. And most of us in this room will be familiar about the fact that Jonah receives a call from God. We're going to look at that in just a few moments to go to a place that he didn't want to go. And so instead of going, he runs from God. And, of course, as God often does, he brings, when we are disobedient to his commands, he brings chastening into our lives. And so we're obviously we're aware of that. But, you know, I'm thinking to myself, we as people can be the, so dumb when it comes to the things of God at times. Isn't it the truth? I mean, and it's, this is not something that just happened in Jonah's life or, you know, in the New Testament or even in our day. Uh, it's probably everybody here could probably stand up and give a testimony of the fact that you did something dumb when it comes to your relationship with God at some point, you, you stepped over a line that you shouldn't have stopped, stepped over, you didn't do something you should have done, or you did something you shouldn't have done, and, and, you, and you felt chastening of the Lord, either the, the discipline of the Holy Spirit. Larry, I'm just getting a little bit of a, a feedback here, if you can tone that down just a little bit. Um, but if you get, um, you know, you just step over that line and you kind of feel the, the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and then after the conviction, if you keep pushing on, the chastening of the Holy Spirit. But you know, if you think about it, even in the very first sin, Adam was very, very foolish in his relationship with God. Uh, you know, we think about, the, here's a man who's perfect, been given everything. I mean, everything. Uh, I mean, our, our minds can't comprehend the beauty of this world before sin tainted it, and how pure and how unadulterated it was. And you know, I don't think there was any weeds. I really don't think there was a weed in the world. I think things grew very rapidly. I think they were very lush. I think they were, the, you know, whatever fruit, you know, was grown was the, the sweetest and the best. And, and, you know, and so he had the, the run of this place. And God gives him a simple, one simple command, and he disobeys it. And as a result of that, now he thinks he can, he can fix it by covering his own sin. So the Bible says he makes an apron. And then when God comes looking for him, he runs and hides. Like, you can hide from God, right? Well, obviously, um, Jonah thought he could as well. He could run from God, and God wasn't going to find him. So we, we sometimes we, we are, are foolish in, in the way we conduct ourselves in, in our lives and in, 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 in our relationship with God. Um, you know, I'm thinking that uh, the nation of Israel was very foolish, after all that God did to them, for them, bringing them out of Egypt, man, they had to see the mighty hand of God as he decimated the most powerful nation in the world to liberate them. Parts the Red Sea, and then they get into the wilderness, and they're doubting God and building calves and those type of things. And I, I, I'm just saying, we as people, as the hymn writer said, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. 
You and I have a, the, a benefit that they didn't have in the Old Testament in the fact that we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. If we're saved, God's Spirit lives inside of us to bring us conviction and to help us understand the truth. And we have the benefit of learning from those things. The things that are written aforetime were written for our learning and, and that we might be better people as a result of it. So here in our text, we find Jonah deciding to run. He's running from the presence of the Lord as if you could do that. And Jonah didn't like the people, the tasks that God had assigned him, so he thought he'd just run away. I don't like what you give me to do, so I'm taking my ball and I'm leaving the court. I'm going another direction. And so maybe if I run far enough or refuse to go, God will change his mind. Well, we, we know that that's not the way it works. Um, so is there something, let me ask you this, and I won't ask for people to be audible about it, but can you think of something right now that is God's will or plan for your life that you're kind of hedging on, okay? What is it that God tells you that you know you're supposed to do, but you're just kind of dragging your feet? Or maybe you've drugged your feet in the past and you've learned a lesson. So, so all of us, again, can maybe identify with some of those th- type of things. And, and so I would just simply say it's really foolish for us to really resist and, and kick, if you would, about the, the things of God. So we've, you've got, do you, do you have a handout tonight? Okay, all right, so you've got uh, basically two points in the handout. So we're going to look at God's call to Jonah, and we find that, of course, in chapter 1 and verses 1 through 16. We're going to touch on these verses as we get there, but tonight's lesson really is studying in chapter 1 and chapter 2. So uh, I want to just contrast for just a moment as we get started tonight, chapter 1 with chapter 2. So here's what you find in chapter 1. In chapter 1, you find that God calls to Jonah. He calls him. Uh, gives him a task. Chapter 2, Jonah calls out to God. He's in trouble. So we find Jonah responding to God in, in a kind of a call-out situation. Jonah chapter 1, we find God's plan for man. In Jonah, or chapter 2, we find man's prayer to his God. In chapter 1, we find Jonah's rebellion. In chapter 2, we find Jonah's repentance. So there's a little bit of contrast between those two chapters that we're going to look at tonight. So notice, if you would, uh, letter 1 is God's call to Jonah. Point A, the man and his times. The man, Jonah, and his times. So the name Jonah uh, means dove. That's kind of the, evidently, uh, if you're going to just give a, you know, a definition of his name, what does it mean? Well, it means dove. Uh, I, I, as I'm looking at Jonah, uh, the personality he has doesn't seem to be a dove, harmless, peaceful type of personality. He's more like a hawk, you know. He, he's more of like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't want to do this, or I want to attack something, or I want to deal with it. So uh, he's more of that hawk personality. Jonah's mentioned, think about this, only one other time in the Old Testament. So, you know, you have a lot of You have a lot of these Old Testament prophets, you know, they're mentioned in different places, but only one other time that Jonah's mentioned. So as we look at that passage, it gives us a little bit of background about his life, about his time, and and about his ministry as a prophet. So hold your place here in Jonah. Go to 2 Kings chapter 14 for just a moment. 2 Kings chapter 14, and we'll look at three verses, chapter 14, verse 23 through verse 25. Second Kings chapter 14, verse 23 to 25. In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. And let's time out for just a moment. There are two Jeroboams that we find in the Old Testament in Israel. The first one, of course, was the first king. He's the guy who kind of severed the kingdom from, from Solomon's son, Rehoboam. And uh, God gave him the ten pieces. You may, may remember that. So he's the first Jeroboam. Now, this is some man 
further down the line, Jeroboam, we call him Jeroboam II, he's the son of Joash, king of Israel, and he began to reign in Samaria, and he reigned 40 and one years, and he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, and departed not from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that's the first Jeroboam, who made Israel to sin. He restored the coast of Israel from the entering of Hamath under the sea of the plain, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he spake by the hand of his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, which was in Gath-Hefer. So, Here's, this, uh, here, here's the only other reference that we have to Jonah being a prophet is found here. So giving us a little bit of time. So Jonah was from this town called Geth Hefer. It's located in northern Israel. It's part of that, that ten tribes up there in the north that have all those bad kings. And so God, obviously, even in the midst of having bad kings who you know, are not walking with God, not wanting what God wants, not one of them really had a heart for the things of God, God was always raising up a prophet. God was always raising up a voice to call out against them. Now, this Jeroboam that is mentioned here was a man who obviously had, a, 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 from what is stated, had the ability, or God gave him the ability, to regain some land that had been lost to some enemies. So the coast, if you will, the lines of the nation were expanded under his leadership. And, of course, that was prophesied, the Bible says, by Jonah. But Jonah was the prophet who said, here's what God said he's going to do. And in spite of that, we find that Jeroboam still was a man of uh, disregard of the things of God. So this Jeroboam reigned from 793 to 753. So the Bible says 41 years. So right at that 41-year timeline. And his reign was characterized by prosperity and expansion. And it was during what had been termed the golden age of Israel. So uh, again, when of uh, the northern kingdom. And it was an age of great apostasy. That's what the Bible says. He turned his heart away and, as, and also iniquity as the northern king, t- kingdom continued down its path away from God. So when we think about this Jonah, we understand his timeline. So he's somewhere in that timeline of 793 to 753. How long he lived, we, we have no idea, but his, obviously one of his prophecies or one of the times in which he uh, is recorded in the scriptures was sometime during that timeline. And he was a contemporary of two other old uh, minor prophets, the prophet Hosea and the prophet Amos. They were, they were both contemporaries with this man Jonah. So as we do a, free, a brief flyover of his life, it tells us that God called Jonah to do a ministry in a difficult place where he didn't want to go and where the enemies of Israel resided. And he was called to preach to them, but instead he, wanted to, he, he didn't want to go. And so he seems to be a man with an unhappy disposition. I, I don't see a man of great joy. You know, a lot of these, these Old Testament prophets were given very difficult tasks. I mean, honestly, if you study them, I mean, just some of the weird things that they, God did, but he was trying to give visual, a visual message. You know, God is very much aware of the, the visual aspects of our senses. And so we often talk about symbolism that's found in the Bible, and we find a lot of that in the Old Testament, specifically in the temple and the offerings and all those type of things. But even in these prophets, God used them as, as, a, as an illustration, a living illustration of his love for Israel and what he was willing to do. And so, uh, you know, but some of them, of course, because life was hard, because it was difficult, because they were, if they would, they were the minority pushing against the tide in which the current of, of culture was moving in an opposite direction. I mean, it, it wouldn't be easy to be, have a happy disposition, would it, in, in a situation like that? When you're the kind of, you feel like you're, you're the only person, you know. Uh, you remember uh, Elijah the prophet said, I, I alone, I'm alone, I'm the only one. 
sometimes it seems like that when we're in this world. And obviously, uh, this prophet Jonah felt that way. And so he seems, he seems he's the only preacher that I know in the Bible with an unhappy, was unhappy when, when he preached a revival and the revival came. And, of course, you'll see that in chapter 4 of the book of Jonah. So that's the man in his times. Look at letter B, the call. We find that in verses 1 and 2. So let's go back to the book of Jonah, chapter 1. Now, the Bible says, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. So these opening verses, we're told that the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Now, we're not told how that happened. So did he have a vision? Did he have a dream? We're not sure. Was there a theophany, what we call an Old Testament appearance of God in the form of an angel or the, the angel of the Lord? Or in human form, we oftentimes see some of that happening in the Old Testament. The Bible doesn't say, it just says, the word of the Lord came unto him. So somehow, the word of God was delivered to him. So the Bible is clear that the, it was the word of the Lord. It wasn't, you know, he's not hearing voices. It's, this is God saying, Jonah, here's what I have for you to do. So Jonah knew what God was saying. And it wasn't like he misunderstood or he was confused about, what is it that you want me to do? No, no, he knew exactly what he, God wanted him to do. The call was specific. Notice, please, he, go. In other, words, in other words, it's not like, I don't know when I'm supposed to go. It's like God was saying, get up and get going. I want you to go to Nineveh. So the idea is go and go now. So it's specific. Uh, we know where, so he, he knows when. You go now. Where? Go to Nineveh, to the city, that great city, and do what? Cry against it. The, the, preach. The why? Because the wickedness of the city has come up before me. So, you know, just a couple of things let me just point out to you. First of all, God is very much aware of what's going on in this world. Amen. So we look at things and we say, you know, where is God in this Ukraine thing? You know, why does he allow devastation? Why does he allow one nation to brutalize another nation? Why, why is there such, certainly God was aware of the, the, the brutality of what was happening in Nineveh. We're going to talk a little bit more about some of those things in just a moment. But, but understand, God is not some distant being. Just because God doesn't have your timeline or my timeline, just because I don't necessarily understand all that God is doing, doesn't mean that he's not just or that he's not righteous. And so we need to be very careful that we don't set in judgment of God. Uh, understand that, hey, you're not God. You, remember when you were raising your kids? And your kids come and say, I don't understand. Well, it's because they were kids. They, they didn't see things that you or I could see as a parent. We, we could see much further. We'd been places they haven't been, right? We, we understood the dangers of situations when they didn't understand it. And, and so, look, multiply that about 10 billion times over, and you have what God sees. And here we are, these minuscule little peanuts here on this planet, and we think somehow we have the brain of God that we can understand him. If you have that, then, then he's not God because, you know, he's just like you and me. But, but he's so much higher. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways higher than our ways. So I'm just reminding you tonight, be careful. Be careful about judgment of God. And that's not wrong to ask why. But just don't be, you know, caustic about it. Don't be hateful about it. Just understand that you may not get an answer to some of the questions of the why here in this world. And understand that God is, is very much aware of what's going on. His call, would you notice he calls a man to a specific place, to, for a specific duty. You know, we, we certainly believe that we all have a call to evangelize. We all are told to preach the gospel to every creature. That's a general call. But God has a specific call for people in their lives. There's no question about it. I, as I stand before you tonight, I am as sure as I'm standing here 
uh, right before you tonight that I am in the plan of God for my life, that it was his plan and his will for me three, almost three years ago now to step out of the pastorate here and to pursue another line of ministry. I, I'm convinced of that. So God is specific in his call. And, you know, so I'm I just saying to you that here's a man who has a specific call, and so we need to understand that. So Nineveh, think about this. Nineveh is the capital of the ancient Assyria. So you may read in the Bible of the Assyrians. Nineveh was the, was the capital of that city. Jonah was a nationalist. So he had a great heart for his people. I'm an American. I'm a flag-waving American. I'm proud of my nation, and I'm glad to be a part of a great country like America. And, and honestly, I think we have some things here at home that we need to address. Personally, you know, I'm, I'm all for trying to help other people, but there are some very difficult things going on in America right now that we're just ignoring, like an open border in the South where people are just pouring across. And I'm, I'm, I'm a nationalist. I want to protect my country. So I understand where Jonah comes from in this situation. Okay, you want me to go there? These are people that have, that have been brutal to us. These are people who have not treated us well. And you want me to go preach to them? But that's the heart of God, isn't it? It's a heart of compassion. When we, when, when we lack mercy and grace, God doesn't. And so he, he, uh, he, it's a, it's a, Jonah was a nationalist. He hated the Assyrian people. The Assyrians were the dreaded enemy of Israel. And eventually, think about this, they're going to invade Israel, this northern kingdom, and they're going to carry them off. I mean, lock, stock, and barrel. Uh, they're going to hardly leave anything behind when they come in and inv- invade the, the country. And so it's no wonder that Jonah is fearful of them, you know. And so uh, they will invade, and, and it's, uh, it's believed that they, they had made, at, even at this time, periodic forays into the country to do raids and things like that. And so great damage, carrying things off, maybe people off. So Jonah would rather die than have the mercy of God showed to these enemies of God. I'm going to give you a couple of thoughts from a couple of commentators that I'd like to read after. Uh, a guy by the name of John Butler, one of my favorite commentators, he, he said this, he said, uh, Nineveh was indeed a very wicked city. Morally, Nineveh had, was very, uh, a very licentious city. Spiritually, Nineveh was given over uh, up to idolatry and witchcraft. Militarily, Nineveh was a cruel and barbarous, was cruel and barbarous. Bismarck said, great cities are great sores on the body politic. And that statement was certainly true of Nineveh. Nineveh was so wicked that Jonah's message said they only had 40 days left to repent before God would destroy them. And so, you know, just, a, just kind of a giving you the idea that, hey, this, this was a, a very hard-hearted, difficult, wicked people that Jonah was called to go preach to. Another commentator said this. He said, for Jonah, Nineveh simply meant the center, center of the Assyrian power, a place from which ruthless armies moved out to subdue and conquer. Assyria loomed as a great threat to Israel's safety and survival. Nineveh was the epitome of everything that Jonah hated in the Gentile world. It was a synonym for godless tyranny. In Jonah's mind, it was an idolatrous, sin-ridden city, and nothing was more repulsive or repugnant than going there to preach repentance. Jonah's theology was dominated by a funnel concept of providence that God's power and control were limited to Palestine and his covenant people, end quote. So you get the idea of why maybe, you know, Jonah is dragging his feet. Why he doesn't want to do what God wants him to do because of his great hatred of these people and who they were. So I think, I'm thinking to myself, a couple of years ago as I was starting out in Spiritual Leadership Asia and started doing some missions conferences, I ran into a man by the name of Greg Feinhauer, Greg and his wife Judy, 
uh, our graduates of Heartland Baptist Bible College, and they're older. So uh, it's like uh, they'd probably be maybe, maybe 10 years younger than I am. So they were just getting started in this mission thing. I called to ministry later in life. And, and they had a great burden. Their burden was for North Korea, the North Korean people. So I was in this, this conference with them, and I said, you know, it would really help if God killed Kim Jong-un, wouldn't it? And he looked at me and said, no, it wouldn't. What I'm praying for is for God to save King, Kim Jong-un. You know, and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, well, you know, slap in my face, you know. You know, from my perspective, just take the dude out, right? But, but from their perspective, let God save him and change the whole trajectory of that particular nation. And, you know, I'm thinking to myself, I'm more like Jonah than I am, you know, like the compassion heart of God. Just kill the dude and be done with it. But, but you know, we, we think of it like even Putin tonight, Vladimir Putin. And there's been calls for his assassination. And, you know, I, I'm thinking, you know, we, we look at them as like these, these cruel people. And, but the Russian people are not like that. I mean, for the most part, the Russian people are, you know, they're, they're just being led by cruel people. And I'm just telling you, if you want to find out really what the heart of the people is, go talk to James and Amber Pranger and realize that these people are not really our enemies. We just have a bad leader that's there. And so, you know, as we think about it, you know, perhaps Jonah's whole issue was with the leadership of Nineveh. And, and from my understanding at this point in, in the life of Nineveh, things were kind of on a downward spiral. Things weren't going very well. Life was kind of falling apart. And God was sending a prophet maybe just at the right time for a revival meeting. And so just understand that, you know, his, his call and, and his, it was, it was a very specific call that God gave to him. And so right now, again, we, we think about that. So um, would you notice, let us see Jonah's response, his response. We find that in verse number three. So God says, arise, go to Nineveh. Here's my command, specific. Here's when you go. Here's where you're going. You're, here's what you're supposed to do. And this is uh, the place that you're supposed to go. And uh, verse number three. But those little, those little conjunctions are found throughout the Bible. But God says, here's what I want you to do. But Jonah rose up to flee to Nineveh. Is that what it says? No, it says unto Tarshish, from the presence of the Lord. And went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So we read of Jonah's lack of obedience, his out-and-out rebellion. I'm just not doing it, and I'm going the other way. So Jonah rises up, or is risen up, to flee to Tarshish out of the presence of the Lord. As I said, think about that. How do you flee out of God's presence? David said, if I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. I go to the farthest part of the world, behold, thou art there. God is everywhere. You can't escape God. It's foolish for us. You think, you know, well, I'm in the dark of night. Nobody's going to say, God sees everything. There's nothing hid from him. So here's Jonah. He's running from the presence of the Lord. No, he went down to Joppa, which is a modern-day city in Israel today of Haifa. So if you ever get the opportunity to go to Israel, you'll find that Haifa is a port city. It's probably the major port in Israel where most shipping is done and, and uh, people come in and out of there. So even today, many, many ships traveling the Mediterranean Sea bring goods and passengers in and out of Israel's uh, uh, at uh, at this place called Haifa, and of course in Joppa, it was Joppa in, in those days. So notice that even in his day, he found a ship heading to Tarsus. So he bought a ticket, spends his money, 
And by the way, can I tell you, running from God is always costly. It's always going to cost you something when you run from God. So in Jonah's mind, he could avoid the call and mandate from God by simply running away from it. Now, it's hard to pinpoint exactly where Tarshish is because you can't go to a map today and find modern-day Tarshish. So uh, a lot of you know, the people that I was just trying to kind of figure this out, most people think that Jonah was heading to northern Spain, uh, up on the, uh, on the coast, on the Mediterranean. He's heading that direction where he's going to you know, kind of run away from God to this, as far as he can think of, I'm going as far away as I, can, I know that I can go out of the presence of the Lord, away from this, this call or dictate. So he's trying to get away from it. And it seems that the prophet had a heart that was cold and hard and away from God that he claimed to serve. So think about, Jonah's no different than most of us. He didn't mind serving the Lord as long as it was convenient or as long as it was in his framework of his comfort zone. But when God asked him to make, do something a little bit more difficult or a little bit hard, that's when he said, uh, I'm not sure I want to do that. I'm not sure that's what I want to do. Uh, you know, I, I just will tell you that, you know, all of us resist sometimes the things that God wants us to do. So let's just simply say, you know, we're thinking about this friend day. Maybe you're thinking about somebody right now in your mind saying, you know, there's a person that I really like to get to church, but I'm just a little bit fearful. I know I should, but I'm just a little bit fearful of inviting that person because of what they may say to me. Or, you know, we, it's almost like we fear the rejection ourselves, like we're taking it personally. Can I just tell you, if, they, if you invite them and they say no, they're just saying no. They're not saying no to you. They're really saying no to maybe what God has for them. So just don't take it personally. But we very many times we just get to that point where it's like, you know, I just don't want to do that. It's, we don't mind doing the easy things, the things that are convenient. But when it's difficult or hard or unusual, we struggle a little bit with that. Jonah certainly did. When God asked him to do something difficult, something he had no desire to do, he rebelled and ran from God. Notice if you would in verses 4 through 16, the rest of chapter 1, we find God's chastening in Jonah's life. So as we read this passage, can I tell you that nobody can run away from God without there being a price that's going to be paid? Uh, God's going to pursue you. You, you can't run away. It's not like he's going to just let you go. Uh, he'll let you go, all right, but there's going to be a price at the end of the running in which you're going to pay for the disobedience. Notice the wording in verse number 4. Uh, so we have a but in verse number three. Notice again, we have a but in verse number four. So, you know, it's like cause and effect. The cause is Jonah running. The effect is God says, okay, you asked for it, I'm going to bring it. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea. And there was a mighty tempest in the sea. So the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid. So I want you to understand, you know, we, in our mind, we, can, we, get, we think about this storm, but, you know, the, the Bible's pretty clear here. This is pretty graphic stuff. So when the Bible says the Lord sent a, out a great wind, I want you to look at that, and the Lord sent out a great wind. That, that thought there behind that word sent is like to hurl. In other words, that God himself is hurling this, this wind. So I get the idea that it's like a, a, a um, hurricane, gale force winds. You know, think about the God who can, made this world. He certainly can control the realm of nature, right? And, and so here's this, uh, you know, this guy who's saying, okay, I, I don't want to do what you want me to do. I'm going to the sunshine. I'm going down to Spain where it's nice and sunny. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit back in my lawn chair and on the beach and, and just have a good time. God says, you're not even going to get there, pal. Uh, I'm going to make sure that you're not, you're not even going to get there. And so he sends these gale force winds, this hurricane, 
And that, in the Bible, says like the ship to be broken up. So you get the idea that this is not just some, you know, I mean, this ship is being, I mean, it's being beaten. I mean, it's being thrashed by the wind and the waves to the point that the mariners, the, these are men of the sea. These are men who make a living on the sea. They're, they're petrified uh, to the point that, you know, they're, the, the Bible is very clear here what, what happens. They, they say, okay, we've got we to lighten the load here. We got too much, in this storm, we got to get rid of the stuff. And so they start pitching stuff off the side of the boat. You know, I guess it's better to get rid of the cargo, which will be drawn in the sea, than the people to be drawn in the sea. That's in their mind. But th- think about this is people paid for stuff or somebody's invested in stuff, and it's all being pitched because of a wayward prophet uh, who's just running from God. So there's a cost there. There's a cost in the ticket. There's a cost in the goods. And these, these mariners are trying to lighten the load to kind of help that boat to set up a little bit higher in the water, I guess. And then... And then they, the Bible says they start to call on their gods. I mean, they're to the point where, you know, this is, this is desperate stuff. We are in deep water here, and it looks like we're not going to make it out. And so every man calls on their god or on their gods. And so these were, these were pagans. These were not followers of Jehovah. It's pretty clear that they're calling on their gods, on their little idols to, to, to deal with stuff. And finally, the, the master of the ship says something to this effect. I mean, it's, it's written in between the lines, but here's what he says. Uh, wasn't, there a, wasn't there a guy got in here by, by, that was a Hebrew? I wonder where he's. Notice what the Bible says about him in verse number 6. So the shipmaster came to him and said, uh, well, no, end of verse number 5. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay, uh, and, he lay and was fast asleep. How do you sleep in a storm like that? I just wonder if maybe he took some... Uh, you know, some kind of drug or something, you know. I, I, I don't want to even know what's going on. I just want to, I'm just going to knock myself out. Now, the Bible doesn't say that. But, you know, how can you sleep in a storm like that? I mean, the, the boat's being thrashed about, but he's fast asleep in the side of the boat. How, how does that happen? And so they come, they run to him, verse number six. That here comes the shipmaster to him. And, and he says unto him, what meanest thou, O sleeper? What a rebuke, right? I mean, he's being rebuked by this, this pagan Arise and call upon thy God. So you notice in your Bible that word God is, is capitalized? It's Yahweh. It, it, he's saying, I know who your God is. I know what the Hebrew's God is. You, you call upon your God, your Hebrew, call upon him. And so uh, this is a rebuke really to, to Jonah at this moment. And, you know, they're so f- filled with fear. And if be, so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. So they're, they're at this point of desperation. Everybody's calling on their God. You need to call on your God. And so they, they do. Look at what happens in verse number seven. And they said, everyone to his fellow, come and let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots and it fell upon Jonah. Now, I wonder what made them think that maybe one of them was, was to blame. You just have to wonder if God just to say, you know, there's a guy here that's guilty. You know, God can even speak to heathen. You know that, don't you? And so it doesn't tell us exactly why they did that, but that we know that's what they did. And the lot, the, the falling out said, okay, Jonah's the dude. All right, he's the guy. He's the reason that this is happening. And they said unto him, tell us, we pray, verse 8, for whose cause this evil is upon us? What is thy occupation? And whence comest thou? And, and what is thy country? And of what people art thou? And he said unto them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea of the dry land. <laughs> oh, yeah, that, that God. Uh, and then were the men exceedingly afraid, and said unto him, 
Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he had fled for the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And then said they unto him, What shall we do to thee that the sea may be calmed unto us for the sea wrought and was tempestuous? So, you know, you get this unfolding drama. It's all going on in, this, in, a, in a brief little time. They wake up Jonah, you know, and, and call upon your God. And, and now it's like, oh, we need to fight, figure out why this is happening. The lot falls on Jonah. Okay, what happened? Why, why is this happening? He explains to them. Now what do we do? How, how are we supposed to fix this problem? And notice Jonah's response in verse number 12. And he said unto them, take me up and cast me forth into the sea. So shall the sea be calm unto you, for I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Now I want to time out for just a moment. We know what's going to happen after he's getting to- tossed in the sea, right? We, we understand that. From my perspective, I'm just, I'm just kind of just giving you my summation. I think Jonah thought, you know, I'd rather die than go to Nineveh. Yeah. Just cast me into the sea. I'll be done. I'll just go ahead and drown and I'll be over with, right? Can I tell you some things are worse than death? God knows how to get our attention. Because the Bible says to us as you're getting ready. Now, by the way, when he, when he says this to, the, to these men, to these mariners, just you know, toss me into the sea, their response is, uh, we don't want to do that. So they work real hard, the Bible says, to row. They try to row the, the ship to, to land. They were not making any progress. The, the wind is still boisterous, and they're still getting beat to death. And finally, they, they pray, and they say, God, please forgive us as we're going to do what we're about to do. And then they toss Jonah overboard. And I'm telling you, the Bible is, is very clear here. Instantly, uh, as soon as Jonah's sailing into the air, I get the, the impression, as soon as he's sailing into the air, uh, that sea goes calm. I mean, it, it just dies. And the response of the men, according to verse number 16, I think it's verse number 16, look at it real quick. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. So even Jonah in his rebellion and his God's chasing got the attention of some Gentiles who maybe just turned their attention to the true and living God, right? So, you know, it's pretty interesting, this story that we are so familiar with that sometimes we just kind of read through and don't really think about all that's going on in there. Now look at verse number 17. So we come to the, the second main point here. Notice John, Jonah's call to God. So we have God's call to Jonah. Now we have Jonah's call to God. So the book of Jonah is probably one of the most questioned books in the Bible. Why is it questioned? Because people have a hard time believing verse 17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So here's the modernists. Here are the scoffers. Ha! That could never happen. How could that ever happen? How could a man be swallowed by a fish, live three days and three nights, and be, I'm going to use a, the term here that's used in the Bible, vomited out, and still survive? How could that happen? That's just impossible. Okay, it is. But not with God. See, somehow we, we get ourselves in this position where we think we've got to justify to people, explain to people how this happens. You don't have to do that. If he's God, he's God, right? He can do whatever he wants to do. And when the Bible says he prepared a great fish, I believe he prepared a great fish. He did that according to the word of God. Uh, Did you know that Jesus confirmed this? So to deny that this happened, you're denying what Jesus said, and you're calling him a liar. So go to Matthew chapter 12 real quick, and notice what he says in verse number 39. Matthew chapter 12, notice what he says.
The Bible says, but he answered and said unto them, an evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly. So the Bible calls it a big fish. Jesus calls it a whale. So shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise up in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonas. And behold, a greater than Jonas is here. So, okay, deny it. Scoff at it all you want to. But I'm telling you, Jesus said this happened. He said, just as Jonah, as it happened in Jonah, he was three days and three nights. Even so, that's going to be the sign in my life. I'm going to be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth during his death, of course. De dead three days, three nights, and his resurrection to newness of life. All right, so would you notice, if you will, this real quick, let's notice the time of Jonah's prayer. Uh, we find that in chapter 1, verse 17, other way, verse number 10 of chapter 2. So if we put verse 17 and verse number 1 together, it doesn't seem until it's the end of the third day, at least from my perspective, that Jonah's crying out to God. So notice what it says. The Lord prepared, and Jonah was in the belly of the, uh, of the fish three days and three nights. Notice the first word of verse number 1, then. Okay. So in other words, he didn't start immediately calling out to God when he's in the belly of the fish. At least, I don't think he does. Now, my wife and I were having a discussion about this today over lunch, and I said to her, I said, you know, I'm wondering if, and the Bible doesn't tell us this, but I'm wondering if Jonah was unconscious part of that time. You know, I said to her, I, I said, you know, I'd be, I get caught, tossed in the water, I think I'm going to die, and then I see this fish swimming at me, I think I'd die, I'd probably have, have a heart attack, you know, as, you know, and maybe just maybe of the fear was enough to knock him out for a while, and he finds himself waking up at some point, you know, do, do I remember what was happening? I got tossed into the water, and a fish swallowed me. Where am I? And and again, there's the Bible. I mean, I would just assume there's not like lanterns down there. He doesn't know where he's at, and and he's you know he's inside the the you know the digestive system of this fish. It, it's it's wild stuff. I mean, it's pretty amazing, really. But then the Bible says, then verse number one, Jonah prayed unto the Lord, his God, out of the the, the fish's belly. So we find the timing of it. So perhaps a portion of the time, again, Jonah's unconscious. It would take the supernatural intervention of God to keep him alive those three days and three nights. There's no question about that. Nobody probably is going to live that long in, inside the, this fish without God doing something supernatural to make it happen. Notice Jonah, the content of Jonah's prayer. We find that in verses 2 to 9. Notice Jonah acknowledges God's chastening in verse number 2 and verse number 4. Verse 4 indicates that Jonah believes that he will see God's temple, so he understands, okay, I'm, I'm in this time of chastening, but God is going to deliver me. Uh, he, he, um, his own, he has his own difficulties, verses, verse 2 and verses 5 and through 7. Um, he said, I cried to the Lord by the reason of my affliction unto the Lord. So he says, I'm, I'm being chastened, verses 5 through 7. The waters can pass me out even to the soul. That closed in about me. The, weed, the weeds wrapped, uh, were wrapped around my head. So you get the idea, man. This, this guy is in some pretty hairy circumstances. Or should we say seaweed circumstances? And I went down to the bottoms of the mountains, and the earth and her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought, brought, up, uh, brought up my life from corruption, O Lord God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came unto thee, 
and into thy holy temple. So you get the impression that, you know, he's, he's, in, uh, you know, he's feeling the intense, you know, pressure of this, maybe this, this fish going to the bottom of the ocean and, and all that's involved in that, quite a ride maybe. God gave him quite a ride inside that fish and he indicates that, that difficulty that he's dealing with. He speaks of making sacrifice with his voice and pay, uh, a voice of thanksgiving and paying his vow in verse number nine. Now notice God's response. So here's Jonah. He's in this you know, bad situation and he cries out to God. Verse number 10, we find God's response. The Lord spake unto the fish and vomited Jonah upon dry land. Now, I'm sure that Jonah was glad that fish didn't live in rebellion against God and did what was told. God told Jonah to run to Nineveh, and he said, I'm not going. And he went the other direction. God spoke to the fish, and immediately it obeyed and spit Jonah out and onto dry ground. So I'm sure he was very happy about that. Um, the Bible uses the word vomited, so I get the idea that it's not a pretty picture when he comes out. Um, I'm thinking that the Bible, again, is very clear and very precise here. It says he vomited him on dry ground. So if he would have vomited him out in the ocean or in the sea, he would have died. So God obviously purposely delivers him to dry ground. So have you ever wondered what Jonah may have looked like when he came out of that? You know, I, 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 this is another discussion I had with my wife today. I said, you know, the Bible says, Jesus said that as Jonas was assigned to Nineveh. Have you ever thought about that? What does that mean? Does that mean that there were firsthand, there were some people who had a firsthand knowledge of him being vomited out of this, this beast or this fish from Nineveh? Because he was a sign, as Jesus was a sign to his generation, this three days, three nights. There were people, his enemies knew about his resurrection. So evidently, Jonah, in some form or fashion, they saw him, or when he came in, he was bearing in his body, you know, maybe hair that was gone, bleached out body. I mean, I don't know. The Bible doesn't really tell us. But I'm just saying that Jonah paid for his disobedience. So here's the lesson, and we're done. The lesson is this. When God speaks, don't rebel. <laughs> Pretty simple, isn't it? When God says, this is what I want you to do, let's not fight with God. Let's just do it. It may be hard, maybe difficult, but can I tell you that if God is leading us to do it, there's a reason for him to leading us to do it. He's at work. God doesn't tell us to do things for no reason. You know, even Stephen, when he died, the Bible says, you know, he was a, he was a tool in the life of Saul of Tarshish coming to Christ. Because when Christ confronted him on the road to Damascus, he said to Saul, he said, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. So evidently, his interaction, Saul's interaction with arresting Christians and the way that Saul, Stephen died, this first martyr, God used that in Saul to bring him to a point of when Jesus showed up that you know, his heart was already being prepared for that meeting on the road to Damascus. I'm just simply saying, life may be hard. God may be ask us to do things that are difficult, but there's a purpose in it. We're God's tools in his hand. We just need to fulfill it. Let's pray together and we'll be finished.